Go with me to Mark chapter 2. Mark chapter 2 this morning. Uh, we're, gonna, we're continuing our series on Catalyst. Uh, this is actually part 3 in our series on Catalyst. And, and, and Catalyst really is, is, is an agent that provokes or speeds significant change or action. That's what a catalyst is. It's, it's that agent that, uh, that provokes that uh, significant change. And, and, and we can think of a lot of examples of, of a catalyst. In, 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 uh, let's say, yeah, I'm a sports guy. You guys know that by now. And so uh, in, in baseball, the, the, the catcher may be the, the catalyst on the, on the defense for that particular uh, you know, defensive stance because he's, he's helping call the plays from the coach that's to the pitcher. But the pitcher's throwing the pitch, and he's the catalyst. He's that agent. That's really uh, setting the the uh, the agenda for that particular inning and or even that particular play, and so he's he's that catalyst, and and so uh, our faith really is 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 our catalyst in, in our life, and our faith in God, not faith in faith, but our faith in God, and and the fact that it changes us from the inside out, day in and day out. Our the faith in God that we have to to trust God is is, is really what what provokes change in our life and so Sunday last Sunday we talked about a God that responds to faith but this morning we're going to talk about what faith produces what faith produces and you know when you look at that word produces it, it, you see the root the root word is produce or produce and uh, produce is really two different things it's a noun and a verb how many know how it works as a noun? Produce, right? You, you go to the produce section of a store and you, you find fruits and vegetables and things that were brought forth from the earth, things that the earth produced. And then there are also uh, ways that we can use the word produce in a verb, like uh, we, God wants to produce fruit in our lives kind of way. And, and so... We know there's a, there's a double meaning, but I love this verse that comes with this whole idea of producing fruit, and it's Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control, and some of you are singing the song in your head right now, right? Love, joy, faith, patience, kindness, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faith, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit, right? And it's amazing that it's produced in our life as we abide in Christ. It's the things that come through our life or the things that we say should come through our life or will come through our life. The longer we're abiding in the vine, the longer that we're saved, we would say. Saved from our sin, we repent of our sin, we begin to follow Jesus, and these things begin to produce in our life. How many of you know you, you can, can try, try to contrive these things? You can try to be patient. <laughs> you can try to be joyful. You can try to be full of faith. But when you focus on those particular elements... They're very difficult to produce, but when we trust in Jesus and we follow the Lord and we are abiding in Christ by faith, we're producing those things in our life. They're evident. People begin to say, something's different about you. Something's changed in your life. 
You see more, they would say happy. But you'll say, no, it's not happy. It's not happenstance because that depends on what's happening in my life. You would say it's joy. You would say, I, I met Jesus and Jesus saved me from my sin and he wrote my name in heaven. And I have a joy that doesn't depend on what the things of this world depend on. It's a joy that the world didn't give. Again, and the world can't take away. The devil didn't give it to me. The devil can't take it away. A doctor's report didn't give it to me. And a doctor's report can't take it away. It's joy regardless of what we walk through. And so it's what faith produces in our life. And we're going to see an example of this this morning in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 2 is the story of these four men that, that see a man that's lame and that cannot walk and take, take him, put him on a mat and bring him to Jesus. The house is so filled with people that they say, we can't get him to Jesus, so we're going to bring him down through the roof. And so let's pick up that reading today. We'll read verses 1 through 12. And again, he entered Capernaum, which he set up kind of as, as his ministry headquarters or it's where he was living at the time. And after some days, it was heard that he was in the house, Jesus. Immediately, many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. See, Jesus, when, when it talks about the things that he taught, it will use a particular Greek word. But then he, it also uses a particular Greek word when it talks about the fact that he preached as well. He, he was a teacher and a preacher. He taught and he preached. And you say, Pastor, what's the difference? Shouting. No, that's not the only difference. But we, we may, you may teach on a particular topic, but the preaching is the application of it and how it applies to your life and what God is speaking to you directly right then. Jesus taught and he preached. And, and we have to be careful in a post postmodern world that we don't just try to teach. There is a line in the sand that we declare as well through preaching. And it's the foolishness of preaching, right? And, and who would have ever thought that this would be God's way? But it is God's way that we teach and we preach or we herald about God's word, God's truth. And so Jesus is in the house and he's preaching. He's preaching. Verse 3, then he came to, they came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when... They could no, not come near him because of the crowd. They uncovered the roof where he was. So they had broken through. They let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. I love this. I love this. And this is from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders and, and all those who were gathering. This is what offended them. That he was forgiving sins. Because who can forgive sins but God? And then Jesus stands there as God the Son. The Son of God. And he's forgiving sins. And that's lanyard for this story. Right? That's just extra. Because he's being, he's being let down, lowered from the roof. Jesus says, your sins are forgiven you. That's the greatest miracle of this story. Remember, it's not the fact that Jesus healed his body. That's what amazed everyone, as well as Jesus forgiving sin. But what amazed everyone is that he got up from his mat. 
and he began to walk. Amen. I mean, isn't that amazing? Yeah. Isn't that a miracle? But, but one day this man got sick and he passed away. But because Jesus had forgiven him of his sins, there's a new name written down in heaven. And it was this man's name. I, we're going to meet him one day in heaven because Jesus forgave the man of his sins. And the greatest healing is to go from this body to that life, to that, to that realm when we breathe our last and we say so long to our family members and we live forever and ever in heaven. That's, that's the greatest miracle. And so he says, son, your, fin your sins are forgiven you. Then in verse 6, and some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Some of the teenagers would say, duh. <laughs> Who can forgive sins but God alone? Yes, Jesus is God. But immediately when, God, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic? Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went into the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Miracles, signs, and wonders. They follow them that believe. And Jesus performed a miracle right in this moment. These followers of Jesus, not saying that they were complete believers, they were following Jesus, but, but at some point Jesus looked at their faith and, and said, your sins are forgiven. These followers of Jesus were beginning to produce some things because of their faith in Jesus. Jesus was in the room. Let me give you some things that, some traits, I would say, that that, uh, that are produced in our life as followers of Jesus and as we get closer to Jesus. The first tr trait is, number one, conviction. Conviction. Now, faith, Hebrews 11, verse 1, I believe it's the New American Standard Version, says it this way, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There was this conviction. These men had a strong conviction that this lame man needed to get around Jesus. These men, these four men that are opening up this roof, whatever that looked like, it was, you know, they had these stone walls back in the day that you, you can read about, these rock walls that in some way they were covering the roof, probably all with saplings from, from small branches and, and, and poles from branches and and palm branches that were laid upon top of the, the saplings. And then they took some mud that, that would then make mortar. And then pro probably tried to get some type of tile to go on top of that. And so they're convicted in their hearts that this man needs to go see the healer. Because of their faith. Because of their faith, this man needs to go see the healer. See, confidence is based upon our ability or perceived ability to do something. Confidence. But conviction, on the other hand, is based upon our belief that we should do something. Not, that, not even that we have the ability, but that 
the conviction that we should do something. Someone has to do something about this. And we get so convicted that we do something about it. I've been quoting Hebrews 11 verse 6 for two weeks now. For without faith it's impossible to please God. For he that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And then there's two examples immediately following verse 6. I want to read those to you this morning. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and thus became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. We see this in Genesis 6.22, that Noah did everything according to all that God commanded him. Noah's hearing God speak to him. And Noah gets so convicted that God's speaking to him, he begins to flesh it out and say, I'm going to build an ark. That's conviction. That something has to be done about this. I believe I just heard God speak. I have to do something about this. That's conviction. You ever been there? God speaks to your heart, maybe that you're lost, maybe that you need to pray for someone that needs healing, maybe that you need to go visit someone, maybe that you need to share your faith. Brother Carl was in our men's group this Friday morning, and he's going to, I'm going to give him a mic to share this testimony, but he prayed with three people this week to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And, and if you know Brother Carl, you would say, that doesn't surprise me, right? That doesn't surprise me. But there was this conviction. The door opened and he's, he walked through it to share the gospel and was able to pray with, with three individuals to receive Jesus Christ as, as Lord and Savior. It's this conviction. Amen. See, there's times when faith is called upon to wait in patience. We patiently wait. We patiently wait. God, when are you going to answer that prayer? I don't know, but you hold on. Why? Why do you hold on like Noah held on? Because you heard from God. And you've been diligently seeking him. And your faith is this catalyst that convicts you to keep holding on. I'm not going anywhere. I'm holding on. Another example is Abraham. Verse 8, Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when called to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went. Even though he did not know where he was going. Any of you guys ever been there? <laughs> Don't know where I'm going. Ladies, there were no... GPS, GPS's in, the, in that day. There, there was no convenience store to stop and ask directions, okay? Noah just, or Abram just heard from God that he was supposed to move, and he brings all of his belongings with him, and can't you hear along the way Sarah saying, adonde vamos? Where are we going? Where are we going, Abraham? Where are we going? And, and, and Abram, Abraham, Abram just says, I, just keep Come on, keep, keep coming. I heard from God. God spoke to my heart that we were going to inherit a land. See, that we wonder how these things played out. But by faith, verse 9, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. I have news for you this morning, church. We're in a foreign country. Amen. We're in a foreign country. You say, Pastor, I was born here. I, I was raised here. Yeah, I, I know, but we're still in a foreign country. We're in a foreign land. We don't belong here. Amen. This is not our home. Yeah. 
we, when we were born again, hallelujah, we signed up to a, new, to a new citizenship. Our citizenship is now in heaven, and we abide by those rules. We abide by that voice, and, and we say, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you lead me, wherever you guide me. You say, Pastor, how do you do that? Conviction. Amen. Conviction. That you know the Holy Spirit's convicted you. You know the Lord is leading you. You know the Lord is guiding you. How do you know that? Well, walk by faith. Well, how do you do that? Well, let God convict you. Well, how, did, how does that happen? Pray. Talk to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts you. The Holy Spirit leads us and guides us in that path. In fact, the word convict is a translation of the Greek word elencho. You can just write that down. You, you, you learn a new Greek word today. Elencho, which means to convince someone of the truth. That's what it means. To convict means we've been convinced of the truth. How many of you know what the truth is? How many of you know who the truth is? Jesus. He's the truth. In fact, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. That's why he convicts us. And that's how we walk by faith. Conviction was following these men. These men had to get this man to Jesus because, you know, let's say there was a backstory that we don't know about, that we'll find out about one day in heaven, the, the backstory that he had spent all the mo his money trying to get healed. He had waited in a pool or he, he had had people speak over him words or, or, or in ways that he thought he was going to be healed one day. But when they saw Jesus... The healer was in the house, and they said, we have to get this man to Jesus. I remember being a young man, and the pastor would get to his point in the sermon, and I'll, I'll reach that later in the, in the message, but he would say, saints pray. The Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts right now. My pastor would say that almost every Sunday. Saints pray. The Holy Spirit is speaking to hearts right now. He's convicting hearts right now. Remember that? You ever heard that? He's convicting hearts right now. And he does. He convinces all of us. And we have a choice. We can reject it. We can put a wall, a barrier up between us and God. We can put, we can put a, a, a dividing wall. But, but we could also just say, Lord, I give up. Lord, I, I give up control. I give my life to you. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't stop convicting us. Say, I'm, I'm thankful he convicted me. I got saved. No. Has everyone lived a perfect life since they got saved? So the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin. He comes to convict us. And we're convinced of the truth, and we have a choice. Are we going to repent of that? Are we going to confess that? Or are we going to go the other way? Are we going to continue in that sin? I'm talking about catalysts this morning, church. The catalyst of faith that helps us walk closer to God. And the part of that that we can't miss is conviction that happens in our hearts to help us walk closer to Jesus. So when the Holy Spirit convicts us, say, okay, Lord, I'm guilty. I did it. Repent and walk with Jesus closely, closer than we've walked before. Secondly, there's conviction, but the second word that starts with the letter C, they all have to start with the same letter because that's how preachers think. That's how we think. Is compassion. Compassion. There's a lot of words. I only have four, but there are a lot of words that start with C, but um, 
but we're going to just do four this morning. The, the second word is compassion. Now, how many of you, obviously you can see, they're, ra- they're lowering this man down. We don't know exactly how tall this was, but probably wasn't, you know, 20 feet up, but it, they had flat roofs back in the day, and, and uh, you know, they were at a, at a level to where they could get to Jesus if they lowered him down at, at, a, at a safe level. And they were compassion, compassionately lowering him down so that, so that Jesus could touch him. You know, just before this narrative, we read about the fact that the, 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 uh, the, the people with leprosy, the lep- lepers, excuse me, I couldn't, forget, couldn't remember that word, the lepers were coming to Jesus, and Jesus touches them and said, you're cleansed, Amen. right? So Jesus, they're wanting to get this man to Jesus so he can touch them and speak a word, perhaps, and they're doing everything they can now with their resources to to have this man approach Jesus, and it's a, it's a true heartfelt, we want to make a difference in, in this man's life. One of the things I love about Jesus, if you read about Jesus in the New Testament, you, you pray, you seek the Lord, you worship God, is you, you feel his love. You sense that he's as full of compassion, right? He's, he's full of compassion. He, he, again, he healed the leper. He he spoke a word. He felt compassion at the tomb of Lazarus. And over and over again, the narrative says throughout the New Testament that Jesus was filled with compassion. There's once that it says that he, that's a sigh. He sighed. I mean, that's, that's the God we serve. He's a sighing Savior. <laughs> he's, he's someone that sighs. He's, he's moved with compassion. He, it's like you know, when you go through maybe an inner city and you see a need, you see people uh, living in tents or, or, or you, you see the ravages of drugs and you, and you, you just, something, something moves you and you just, you may sigh like, oh, man. And, and you move with compassion that I'm thankful I have a roof over my head. I'm thankful that I have a bed to sleep in tonight and, and food in my refrigerator and Pico de gallo on the, on, in, inside and some tortillas and some meat and some taco ingredients. Come on, somebody. You can put it together. Jesus is filled with compassion. This moved his heart. That's the, serve, that's the Savior that we serve. This is what Jesus says about you and I. He says in John chapter 13, verse 35, This is how the world will know that you are my disciples, by your love for one another by your love for one another that's how the world's going to know that we are followers of Jesus by our love for one another now Jesus was stern with with other people especially the Pharisees and the Sadducees he was very direct he rebuked them at times but it never uses a word that means harsh he was never harsh but he was very direct he moved tables that needed to be moved. Hello. It's before those plastic tables are around now that we move. That are real easy now to move. He, he had some heavy tables in the temple that he moved, I'm sure. Very direct. But he was full of compassion. Full of compassion. And that's what followers of Jesus look like. Followers of Jesus look like people who are filled with compassion. I've never gone to a, uh, an outreach that the people were lined up at tables serving food who were all atheists. Think about it. There were people that had a faith background. 
majority of them followers of Jesus. Had a faith background that said, you know, we believe in a God and the God that we're that we believe in, the one that we are following, is, is the one that leads me to lead uh, this group of people to, to feed people who need help. That's compassion at work. And I was just, uh, I did some searching. Maybe you could find one, but I was actually searching for, you know, the, where I grew up near, near Memphis, Tennessee, they had Baptist East, Baptist North Hospital. They had Methodist Hospital. They had some uh, charity hospitals as well. And, and I actually got online and, and did not find one. Perhaps there is one, but, but I never found a, an atheist hospital. I, I'm just saying, followers of Jesus have compassion, that we want to help people in need. And that's what these men were doing. So when we walk by faith, something that it produces in our life, something that it produces is we want to help somebody. We want to reach out and, and love the body of Christ, we want to help someone. And, and, and you know, it, it's amazing when you look at Scripture that that's what was happening in the New Testament church. They were selling land. They were giving things away to help those in need. That's, that's amazing. Well, thirdly, the, the trait of Jesus' followers that we see in this story this morning is commitment. Commitment. Uh, these men had conviction they had compassion, and then they took it to the next level and committed themselves to the task of bringing this man to Jesus. And here it is in verse 4, when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, and that word means that they moved some stuff around. They moved some, some roof covering, and there was a cost involved with that. Someone was going to need to fix this. There was a commitment that it brought forth. And let's not call it old school preaching to still say you and I are still called to a very large degree of commitment as followers of Jesus. Amen. Amen. We're still called to commit everything to, to the Lord. To give our whole life to God. By faith, Noah, again in verse 7 when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. What type of commitment did that take? I mean, most scholars would agree a 55 to 75 year time frame. Not a couple weeks. Not a, I think I heard from God, I'll say a prayer and it's all over with. No, we're talking about a commitment. Let's say if, if, the, if it's accurate that it's, it was around 75 years, um, I just, I just turned 40. All right, the altar said, I'm going to repent. My toes were crossed. I just made 50, okay? That means my whole life and then some, Noah was building this ark. That's a long time. I know you, you college students from Chi Alpha think 50 is really old. Raise your hand if you think it's old. All right. They're just telling the truth. So, someone that's really old, 50, plus 75, plus 25, which is 75, that's a long time to be working on a boat. That's a long time. Some of you guys have been working on a boat a couple years. I know. I've had conversations with you. <laughs> we, we work on boats. We do things. But that was a big commitment, Noah, getting things ready. You know why he's getting it ready? He was convicted. He heard from God. 
He was convicted. God told me. God told me. I mean, I've seen the movie, right? God told me that, that, uh, that something was about to happen, that a flood was coming, and I've got to get ready. You know why he was getting ready? He had to save his family. Come on, I'm preaching now. Are you convicted enough and have compassion enough in your heart and committed enough to Jesus Christ to pray prayers that are going to save your great, great, great grandchildren one day? Hello. I mean, we, we need to say prayers and believe for God to save our family and our household. Noah is holding on to God and saying, I am trusting to build this boat through all the scoffers, through all the ridicule, through people that think I am never going to finish this boat. I am going to get it ready for my family. And when Noah went up in that ark, the Bible says his family went with him. Amen. Don't forget that. Bring your family with you. Say, Pastor, how do I do that? Oh, pray. Pray. That's the catalyst. That's the catalyst. Pray, pray, pray. Live for God. Be a genuine witness for Jesus Christ wherever you go. Live and be, be constant in your faith every day. Noah prayed and believed God. Abraham trusted he would to a place he would later receive as, as an inheritance. These are all things by faith. They're walking out this conviction and this compassion and this commitment. I read a quote by uh, one of the former governors of Oklahoma that I just want to read to you because it makes so much sense about commitment. Commitment. It says this. It says, the moment one definitely commits oneself. So the moment one definitely commits oneself, providence moves also. All sorts of things occur to help one that would never otherwise have occurred. A whole stream of events issue from the decision, raising in one's favor all manner of unforeseen incidents and meetings and material assistance which no man could have dreamt would come his way. When you commit to it, again, we said last week the proof is in the pursuit. When you commit to something, you, you may have never realized that just by me you know, tweaking on this, what is it, a mandolin? Tweaking on this mandolin, uh, uh, LJ. Tweaking on this man. I've got mandolin on my brain now. Tweaking on this mandolin, LJ, that, that you'd be up here one day playing in a singing, you know. We, but when you committed to it, Adam, you started learning guitar and began to sing and began to have a heart for worship. And you, you, you may have never thought that you'd, you'd lead out the first song here at TFA this morning. But, but once you committed to that, then providence moves as well. And all these unforeseen things begin to happen because you're committed. See, when we commit ourselves to the work of the Lord, when we commit ourselves and we go all in to the things of God, there's no telling what God's going to do here in Thibodeau. There's no telling what God will do in Shriver, in this whole area, when we fully, wholeheartedly get committed and go all in. But if we're halfway there, halfway in, halfway out, maybe just once a month, maybe just once a year, maybe just every once in a while, no, listen, we have to go all in, all in to the things of God. And we see from the narrative in the New Testament that there were individuals that made, they made commitments to the Lord. There were, there were a group of women, and Luke chapter 8 talks about a group of women that were, were taking out of their resources to help support Jesus and the disciples. Luke chapter 8, verse 3, that Joanna and, and others that were there that, that were helping take 
out of their resources. And we see in Acts chapter 2 that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonder, wonders and signs followed the believers, and, and they sold land and, and, uh, and all these things to, to finance the work of the church helping others. That's commitment. Say, Pastor, you're just trying to get us to give and to get us to do this and get us to do that. No, I want to see a catalyst begin to break loose in your Christian walk and your relationship with God as you as you just begin to say, I'm all in for God. I'm all in. I'm wholeheartedly committed. You, you'll, you'll see your relationship with God go to another level. Amen. It's a catalyst. It's commitment. Well, when Hurricane Ida hit, I, I remember... Uh, when the roof came open, a quick story about commitment. When the roof came open, the, the, uh, Brother Don's not afraid of heights. And Brother Don's on a road trip this morning, but he, he said he was going to be listening. He doesn't know this is part of my sermon, but Brother Don said, we need to go up on the roof and see about that. Have I told you this story? I, 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 he got up there, and, and the guys that were here with God's pit crew had a lift because there was water coming in right above the drums here. Y'all have called that a fish tank. Well, it was starting to fill up with water. For some reason, the hole in the roof that was kind of in the middle here led to right above the, the, the uh, drums, and water was starting to come in the drum cage. And so we got up there with the lift, and Don's not afraid of heights. Guess who's afraid of heights? Yeah, let's raise our hands. Come on, let's, let's sing Kumbaya together, right? We're the family of God. We're unity. Well, I, I, I said, all right, Don, I'll get up there. I'm not afraid until you get up there. And the roof was not like doing this. The roof was moving. And, and, and I, I, I said, Don, yeah, uh, I take your word for it, in a sense. I take your word for it, Don. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm not staying up here. See, there's this commitment that all of us have to reach in our relationship with God, right? And you, you know the Holy Spirit speaks to you. The Holy Spirit speaks to me. And wherever we are in commitment, right, just... Let him speak to us to go to the next level, and he does that. You know, we all have personal convictions about things. We all are at different places in our spiritual journey with the Lord, and, and uh, we, we ask the Lord, Lord, help us to take another step closer to you. As you speak this to my heart, help me. Let's humbly receive that and, and, and begin to grow in that area. Well, the fourth, fourth word with C is courage courage where did their courage come from perhaps it was their it was from their teamwork hey that's another c word here that's point five collaboration right their their teamwork their cooperation are getting together <laughs> they're getting together and they're saying we're going to do this together you know we we stick together the body of christ we're we're unified we're we work together to accomplish things and to reach our community for christ as we are a community of believers and this courage came forth from maybe one of them. And then it reached to the second one and the third one and the fourth one. They said, we can do this. We're going to get this man to Jesus. And he believed that something great was going to take place. Hebrews 11 verse 7 again says, faith, By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. For the third time we read by faith, he condemned the world and became the heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. <laughs> he, uh, he had some courage. 
Let's just say it. From the point, maybe courage should have been point three and commitment point four, but, but he, from the time he heard God speak to him, there had to be some reasoning, some rational conflict, let's say, to say, did I hear from God? Did God speak to me? I mean, we just jump in and say, yeah, he, he heard from God and he built the ark. And boom, it's over in, in two seconds, what took 75 years to possibly uh, to, to journey on. But he, he's hearing from God and he has to know from others that there's going to be some naysayers. These four men had to have known from others that there was some risk involved here. To lower this man through the roof, to break open this woman's roof, let's say, all right, maybe it was right above her kitchen, let's say, uh, I don't know what, what, what room of the house it was, or if there were even rooms in the house, but they're opening this roof, and it took courage, but wow, their courage paid off. Aren't you thankful you took a risk? Maybe you're the only one in your family that serves God. From the very beginning, you prayed a prayer, and you felt the Holy Spirit come live inside of you, and you said, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but the Holy Spirit's giving me power, going to give me power. I'm going to, I'm going to trust Christ, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to follow Jesus. And that, that takes courage. That takes courage to, to walk to that next level of saying, you know, people are going to speak words about me and to me. But remember, this is our level of courage. What if you were in Israel this morning, and you were trusting Christ as your Lord and Savior, and and there were uh, people of the Islam faith, or maybe it's Iraq or Iran, people of, of that faith that if you said one word, one word about Jesus, that could set off a series of events to, to, to have you persecuted and possibly lose your life. Just one word. And so courage looks different for all of us in whatever context we're in. But this is what Jesus said to the men who were waiting, and the, the ladies as well, that were waiting on Jesus. Jesus said, go and wait in Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. You, 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 you group who are seemingly afraid, yes, you have courage right now because I'm with you, and you've seen me in the flesh, but you who are seemingly afraid, you go and wait until you're clothed with power from on high, Acts chapter 1. And when you are clothed with the power, you will be able to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You will be, not you might or you possibly will, but you will be my witnesses into the uttermost parts of the earth. That took courage. You say, Pastor, I don't have much courage. I'm just a big old scaredy chicken. That's, that's me on some days because our culture is swimming this way and we know we're called to swim upstream, go the other way. What, what happens to the salmon with, that swim upstream when they get to the very end? They die. Yeah, they die. So just be like Nemo and keep swimming. Just keep, keep swimming, keep swimming and keep swimming until you've reached the very end. That's commitment. And that's going to take courage all the way to the very end till you reach the end of your journey to, to trust Christ with. And you're going to pass away, go from this life to the next. Open your eyes and you're going to be in the presence of the Lord. And you're going to be able to hear those words. Praise God. Let's give the Lord a praise. 
You're going to be able to hear the Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. Psalm 27, verse 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Courage to make it to tomorrow. Courage to make it through the next day. We know the disciples, again, were full of fear when Jesus died. But when they saw him resurrected and later were filled with the Holy Spirit, we know that they were full of courage. Just a reading, a list of of how the the disciples died. The 12 disciples, the, the apostles, Peter, we know, was crucified upside down. James, Herod Agrippa killed him with a sword. John, we know, was the only uh, disciple that, that passed from this life through natural causes. But he was still tortured and, and, and persecuted severely. Andrew was crucified. Thomas was speared to death. Philip was tortured and crucified. Nathaniel was skinned alive. Matthew was beheaded. James was beaten to death with a club. Jude was beaten to death. Simon, the zealot, was crucified. And others, through Fox's Book of Martyrs and things that you could pick up in the store or online, you could read to tell their stories of how individuals died for their faith that took an extreme amount of courage to say, Lord, I trust you. I don't understand why you're letting me go right now. I don't, tr- I don't understand why I'm being tied to this stake right here. I, if I live, I could be so much more effective and build your kingdom even longer. But Lord, if you take my life right now, to live is Christ, to die is gain. It's way better than living right here, right now. It's better by far, Paul says, to live as Christ and to die is gain. Church, we win if we just keep holding on. We have courage, courage, courage. You say, Pastor Danny, how do we get courage? Just keep trusting Jesus. Amen. Keep trusting Jesus. Be filled with the Spirit of God. Allow Him to fill you. You may, you, you, as you begin to be filled with the Spirit, you'll speak in a language you've never learned. By faith, you, you speak that out in a language you've never learned. That's, that's courage. It'll take courage for you to speak that out. These people are going to think I'm crazy. They thought you were crazy when you got saved. They think you're crazy that you think Jesus died on the cross for your sins. And he rose from the dead on the third day. They think you're crazy that you believe the Bible is God's word. That it's divine rather than human in origin. That, yes, men wrote, but they wrote as they were led by the Holy Spirit. They think you're crazy for that. They might, you might as well go all in and believe all that the book says so that you can get all of God that he has for you. That's going to take courage. That's going to take courage, but it will be a catalyst. A catalyst to help us. Well, in closing, I want to kind of take a, a right angle and kind of veer in another direction, but it's all going to tie in at the end, very end. But I was reading this week, and I said, oh, this fits right in, in, in my message for Sunday because of courage and conviction and other words that you can find that are in the text, okay? Let the Holy Spirit lead you. But there is a little bug. that always, We were talking in the uh, men's group on Friday in our coffee group. There, there, there was a little bug in South Alabama called the boll weevil. In the early 1900s, cotton, it was destroying cotton. I mean, these boll weevils would eat up cotton. 
All right? And farm, farmers were losing their farms because of this, this insect. There is a town in Alabama, in Enterprise, Alabama, all right, that have a statue. It looks like uh, the Lady Liberty from, from, you know, from uh, Ellis Island in New York. Looks like her, but on the top of this statue, there is a bowl that she holds, and inside that bowl is a bowl weevil. You see that picture? This is an Enterprise, Alabama. This was put up in 1919, this statue. This statue was put up in 1919 because what happened is some people traveled, a man by uh, the name of Jennings uh, traveled to uh, Virginia and North Carolina. I'm sorry, his last name was Sessions. Uh, last name of Sessions. And he traveled to Virginia and North Carolina, and he saw that peanuts were very plenteous and were very prosperous in that part of the country. And so he decided to buy some seeds. And he bought some seeds, and he brought them back to Coffee County, Alabama, southeast Alabama, and he sold them to a man by the name of C.W. Bast Bastone. Bastone. Mr. Bastone took those seeds, he planted them, grew peanuts on his farm, and made over $8,000 to pay off all of his debts, and then the word began to spread. Now, Coffee County, Alabama, in that part of Alabama, is now known as the peanut capital of the world. All because one man took risk, he saw some seeds, he brought them back, but really, all because, we could even say, because of the bow weevil, because of some little bug, that he, he decided to take a risk and do something different. He was going, he was living here, and he said, I'm going to take a risk and do something else. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bull weevils come in and wreck the cotton crop? Why do those things have to happen? Why was this man lame all those years before these four men let him down through the roof? Why did, why? We, we get stuck on why so many times. But yet, this story is just really, in a sense, God on display saying, you know what? Yeah, there are the bull weevils that destroy things, but, but I am so much bigger and so much greater. I am so much stronger and so much more able than all the, the negative things in your life and all the things that try to come in and destroy the, the cotton crop in your life that you thought you were headed one way, but there, there was another turn that happened maybe somewhere in your mid-30s or mid-40s or mid-this or mid-that. And you, you say, I don't know why this happened and why this took place, but I'm going to trust God now. It's going to take courage. It's going to take commitment. It's going to be an act of compassion for the Lord to touch you and to work in your life, but, but conviction as well that it will take as you follow the Lord and He begins to produce these things in your life and these traits that begin to transpire over and over again. You don't have to go to Enterprise, Alabama to see that statue. You can just know, you know what? God causes all things to work together for the good of them that love the Lord and those that are called according to His purpose. And I am His child. And no matter what happens, I am going to trust Him. 
I'm going to trust him through the good, the bad, and the ugly. I'm going to trust him through good health in a time of testing. Miss Jan, a, a time of testing. I'm going to continue to trust him. And the body of Christ is going to continue to pray, continue to work. That's why it's so important to be connected to a church. So that you can see the Jan Galliano miracles. You can see the things that happened in all of our lives that, you know what, we continue to trust God. We continue to trust God. We had people pass away, but I continue to trust God. You know, I lost my uh, stepdad a couple years ago yesterday. It was a two-year time frame, and I watched Kenny. He looked, he was looking right at me when he took his last breath, and I Began to pray in the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what else to do. I just began to speak in tongues. I just, because the pain was so deep. I didn't even, I knew what I was doing. I knew that I was praying in tongues. But I, all I knew to, to do was just to pray. Just pray. Just pray. And if you've, so many of you here have, have seen that as well. You've, you've watched your loved ones past and, and, and different things. And you just, you reach down from a place of faith. And you say, I don't understand. I don't know. But I'm not going anywhere. Because I want to see Jesus. I want to see Jesus. And it won't it be worth it all when we see Jesus. Catalyst. Where are you in this journey? Just keep holding on. Just keep holding on and trusting Jesus.